Hi, I'm Caroline Amos. And I'm Raymond McAnally. And we are fatigued. fatigued. <laughs> I am still positive for COVID. Um, and I'm in week three right now. Mm-hmm. So still quarantined at home inside my house, away from my wife. Um, we have the house sectioned off into um, rooms. So I, I have my set of rooms. She has her set of rooms. And in the kitchen, we wear masks and um, scrub everything down. We're most likely past the point of me being contagious, but um, she's currently working on a project with a bunch of other people and having to report in person. So we're just staying quarantined to keep everybody safe. Are you doing any sort of long distance uh, hangouts from opposite ends? It, yeah, house? it actually feels like we are long distance. We, and we're very used to that. She's a, my wife um, is a stage manager and I am an actor. And so we spend at least three to four months out of the year apart because of gigs. So we're very used to being um, away from each other. And we've hilariously defaulted to some of those traits. So when you're in the office area of our house, and that's one of my places, and then you go into the kitchen and it's all kind of open. So you can see from one room to the next to the next. Mm -hmm. And then beyond the kitchen is the living room. So she sits in the living room. She's turned this big chair around so that we can watch TV, her like all the way through the kitchen to... Um, the office for the TV in the office. So just so we can share some time together in the evening. Oh, that's so sweet. Yeah. And um, it is sweet. It's also, it also gets real old real quick. Yeah. (laughs) But it is so good that you have had like all this experience of having to be long distance. So you guys are pros at it. It just sucks that you have to do it in your own house, especially because I know your career and I know that you've been away and doing so much stuff as has she and mm-hmm. so it just sucks that like this awesome time that you do potentially get to spend together, you have to be apart again. I know. And it's and really, to be honest, that because we've been very safe and and, you know, following our own set of protocols and stuff when we go out, um, we have not been living in fear. But we, we're smart enough and have to deal, you know, feel responsible enough to other people. We don't, you know, since this started, we've we played by the rules. And so it's been an unexpected psychological thing to all of a sudden have to be super guarded and protected inside our home. Mm-hmm. And I probably could have held together on if it was only like 10 days. But now I'm on, now I'm close to day, what Sunday will be day 20. Day 20. Um, of of just like our strict, strict quarantine from each other. I've been in the house already, like leaving for no more than an hour a week to go get retested or, or see a doctor. I have um, been home now for 23 days. Mm. already you know i don't know if everything i touch you know for the at least especially for that first 10 days everything i touch could that possibly get her sick yeah i want to do that all the stuff you're used to doing outside your door and you get to come back in and feel safe and secure that safety and security was all of a sudden like nope it's like you have to live in fear when you like leave the leave the house 
And you have to exercise even more caution being in it, especially with someone you love with the att- attempt to prevent her from getting it. Yeah. And somehow like we, that's been the kind of the most unreal part of this is that she, she's tested negative because of work. She was having regular tests. She's tested negative five times. Wow. Since we know I've been infected. All right. So, so you're doing something right, it sounds like, which is great. Yeah, our quarantine measures must be working. What we what we still to this day can't quite compute is when I caught this, we were camping in Yosemite and Sequoia, and we were staying, she and I were sleeping in a camper van. So we're in this camper van, it's cold enough. We didn't eat we had the windows rolled up, no airflow. We're in an enclosed environment next to each other. Mm-hmm. And I'm starting to show symptoms and get COVID unbeknownst to me and she never gets it. Wow. Has she tested for antibodies or anything yet? Uh, no, she, um, I think we'll have to go through the project baseline, the project I used to get tested. Mm-hmm. Um, but she's been so busy with work. They've been, you know, they've been testing her regularly and she quarantined um, according to their protocols when we found out she'd been exposed, but we haven't done an antibody test. I am very curious to know if she has the antibodies. She also like, all right, so we both were pretty nervous about getting this because I'm type two diabetic, um, even though I'm, I ha- it's well-regulated and I have, am now a healthier weight than I have ever been in my entire adult life. Um, I weigh less than I did in college. I was worried because I'm still overweight. And she has a medical condition that's regulated that luckily she hasn't had an issue with in 10 years now, but she, um, you know, we don't know. Would that mean she's immunocompromised according to the lists? It does. So we didn't know what this would look like if one of us got it. So that's one of the big reasons we were so disciplined. Obviously wear a mask when you leave the house, but like we, we carry these little bottles of hand sanitizer and we use it it religiously, you know, normal makes sense kind of, kind of stuff. And, um, Man, I forgot where I was going with this. Um, it's okay. Well, we can edit it. That's so yeah. fun. Yay. <laughs> what, I've heard people call that um, COVID brain. Oh, COVID brain is so real. Yeah. I it's have, a pretty cloudy world, you know. I have it today. Today I have COVID brain. I have it most of the time. But today, the reason why I was late to this meeting is I was like, I can't do anything. and I need to lay down and take a nap after doing nothing. I've been so lucky in terms of my symptoms. But yeah. the fatigue is real. Yeah. And it lasts. And and I keep hearing that from other people like yourself who've who had it months yeah. ago and even further. Fatigued, man. Fatigued. Fatigued. <laughs> On so many levels. That gets us right into why we named the podcast what we named. I'm actually so glad that I don't have to be going into a line of work right now. I'm just sitting, being unemployed and trying to conserve my energy as best I can. But I will, you know, I'll make a trip to Manhattan to run an errand and I will need to lay in bed for like days after. On Monday, I left my bed once. See, all right. And and I think you and I talked about this when we were talking about starting this podcast. At what point are you actually over the fatigue from COVID, but you need to rebuild your strength? All right. So number one, last night, I, in the dead of night, I took the trash out, you know, and I'm spraying myself down 
uh, so that in case there is anything, everything, oh I even but I had to get the trash out and Whitney was at work um, uh, late. So I took it out, didn't run into anybody, thank goodness. And hilariously, I felt like I was on a prison break. Oh my God. This is the first time I'd left the house in three weeks that didn't have to do with me going and getting tested. Wow. And all it was, was walking 30 feet to a trash receptacle and throwing a bag away and walking back. And then I was kind of like, I felt like I had had an hour workout. Yeah, it'll do that. How did it feel being free? It felt so weird. I had a response <laughs> that, that, you know, as actors, I think actors love to analyze these moments, you know, mm -hmm. or we should oh, at yeah. least because who knows, you might have to use that, that memory. Um, uh, to relate to something you're playing, it really was like I was doing something completely illegal. I wasn't allowed to be outside. It, that's mm -hmm. what it felt like. Like I was a domesticated house cat and I had slipped out that door and it was like, holy shit. Oh my the God. world, there's a world out here. <laughs> there's a whole world and it's still spinning and going on, even though you're like stuck in your house. It's so strange that that was because I would never had expected that response at all. Absolutely. Well, going back to what you just said about uh, being an actor and trying to be like curious about this sense memory, you know that there's going to be an entire generation of playwriting that is solely centered around this pandemic. There are going to be so many pandemic plays. I can't there tell. Are. They're There's already doom are. Plays galore. I mean, I am writing a Doom play and I'm kind of hate myself for it because it's like, I don't want to remember this bullshit. We'll bleep that out in post or whatever. <laughs> or not. Who cares? We're adults. But man, it, it, it's amazing to think that we're going to be like, I love that as actors, we're curious people. We're curious enough to start a podcast to talk about these things. And even within our own experience of this suffering and this terrible uh, virus, we're still going, oh, remember this moment. Remember what this feels like. Mm -hmm. I need to I need to keep an eye on this. The now, big one for me, like, like, hold on to this memory was um, when I lost my taste and smell. Do you have it back? I do. I do. I lost mine for only 72 hours, roughly. That's great. Yeah. Yeah. Like I said, I've been I've been incredibly uh, lucky with my symptoms. But when I lost my taste and smell, I had never experienced that absence of two major senses before. Mm -hmm. And, you know, as actors, we, we, we oftentimes work on, um, you know, what a lot of people technically call impediment work, right? So you're, you're trying to imagine what it might be like to, to be in someone else's shoes who has those impairments. But, um, it's a whole other thing to really experience it and to not, I remember I, I, I made some vegetables, some steamed vegetables and I dumped like half a bottle of hot sauce on them just to taste something. Yeah. I did the same thing when I lost my taste. Really? <laughs> oh my God. I ordered, I called up, I, I, I ordered tacos and I said, I need you to give me the spiciest sauce that you have and to be able to have like, it's so weird to experience spice without tasting it, but it yes. was so riveting. It was amazing. It was like, yes, it was, oh that was, that is a great um, way to describe it. It like my brain was trying to remember what it should taste like. Yeah. 
but I was getting nothing from the senses. Nothing. But I knew that it was hot. In one case, so I kept adding hot sauce to every meal. And like we, ordered, we ordered Thai food, which was a complete waste of money because, you know, what the you hell am I doing? It, I can't yeah. taste it. But I really did it intentionally. I got a bunch of vegetables again because I was like, I want, I want my immune system to be, be, be boosted. So let's eat as healthy as possible. But I wanted that super hot Thai hot sauce. Yeah. I dumped it. I would never would eat the near the amount that I did. Yeah. And it meant nothing. Oh my God. Like I could tell it was hot because my tongue swelled a little bit. That's, that's the good kind of hot too. Yeah. But that's it. Like it did nothing else for me and, and wasn't a problem coming out the next day. (laughs) Oh, congratulations. That was my next question. Oh my God. As as I finished that meal, I was like, I might really, really regret this. Really? Yeah. But luckily not. I would do the spiciness to like make myself feel alive again, but also to clear my sinuses because they were all full of gunk. Did you have any of the um, the sinus and chest congestion going yeah, on? Yeah. So what happened? What happened for me, symptom wise, was I started having like sinus problems, um, mix of you know being stopped up and and it draining. Mm-hmm. We were up in the mountains, so I chalked it up to just being out in the environment. Plus. There were there was still a little bit of residual forest fire, so mm-hmm, yeah. um, I had plenty of like reasons to kind of write it off as something normal. Wasn't running a fever, uh, none of that hit um, until we got home. We got home, and uh, on a Saturday, and my wife luckily had to get tested that day so that she could start work on Monday. I stayed at home. Because I was like, well, my immune system's down. I've got this cold. I don't want to run into somebody who has, you know, the virus and then, you know, just, and maybe I'll get over this quickly. Because really all it was, was just sinus stuff. It's like sinus headache, um, normal stuff. Like even the infection was clearing up and it might, it was all getting clear and just, it seemed like I'd be over it by Monday. Yeah. Monday rolls around. Nope, still not over it. Hasn't escalated, but it's not clearing up like it should. Three o'clock on Monday, boom, like a door slamming shut. Sense of taste and smell gone. Oh, no. Gone. And I was like, oh, no, this is I was gr- grateful that I hadn't gone out. Yeah. Um, Because I was I would have I would consider myself some version of a asymptomatic uh, carrier at that point because I really didn't feel anything other than like a little stuffy. Yeah. Uh, Whitney got home and I immediately told her that I'd wiped down the house and like sh- she needed to go to her side um, and I needed to go to mine. Yeah. And what was weird going back to the taste and smell symptom, it would it would dip in and out a little bit. Mm-hmm. Like I would think that I would start to get it back, but all I could taste. Uh, or smell which, whichever sense it was coming through on. The best way I could describe it, it was like rubbing alcohol. Everything just had kind of like a uniform, sterile kind of ammonia kind of smell to it. Yeah. That makes sense. It does. I've heard a lot of other people talk about that symptom in particular. And that was so strange because it gave you hope. When that would come in, it gave me hope that, okay, maybe this is returning. But no, it never would move past that. Yeah. And I, I got to tell you, 
you know, there was a part of me that was like, well, if this lasted a few weeks, probably not bad. I could use to hit another weight loss plateau. Oh my I definitely God. would because yeah. food means nothing. Like means if you nothing. can't taste it or smell it. Yeah. Like what am I supposed to do? Eat for nutrition value? What is no, that? Who does like, that? Who that's does disgusting. that? Ugh, what even so, are nutrients? Come on. <laughs> that is not why you're supposed to eat a meal. Yeah. That is not what tacos are for. It's like supposed to be a mood booster like halfway through the day. Like, oh, you know what? I'm kind of crashing. Oh, you know what I could go for right now? Some tacos. Man, I'm just really. I'm, I think I'm going to order tacos for dinner tonight. This is like the third time I've mentioned them. Maybe podcast. we could. Maybe we could somehow get a taco sponsorship. Oh, that'd be so cool. That would make all of it worth it. It would make all of it worth it. All those weeks of not eating from having no taste. I say weeks. I had like a week of no of no uh, taste and smell. No, and you. But that's you the worst. About... It feels like the longest amount of time too. Because I mean, it is. It really yeah. is. Not knowing when that. Would come back. And I think that, okay, that relates very much to getting this. And everybody you talk to, you could talk to five different doctors and get slightly different, not evaluations, but like prognoses on how how things are going to work out for you. Mm -hmm. Because nobody nobody really reacts exactly the same to this. You and I have had two very different experiences with it, um, for example. And so, which is, you know, why we wanted to do this podcast. So I think one of the hardest things psychologically with this thing is your sense of taste and smell goes, for example, you have no, nobody can tell you when or if that will return. So every day without those senses is an eternity. It is. You don't, you have no clue. It's it's like being in limbo, you know, you don't really know what to expect on the other side of it. You don't know what you're going to live with for the rest of your life. Yeah. And that's the way I feel about the fatigue symptom right now. Two or three days ago, I hit a milestone, like past the two week mark. And, um, I, all, I woke up feeling exponentially better in terms of both the sinuses and the, the fatigue. And I thought this is this is awesome. I just, I think I've cleared, my body's cleared something. Yeah. No, by the, by the evening I was right back. And then the next day was worse Yeah. than it had been the entire time. It's like, it's the worst roller coaster. It's a roller coaster that's threatening to launch you off of it all of the time. And then it will launch you off the roller coaster and you'll go, great. I'm not on the roller coaster anymore. And then you take a nap and you wake up and you're like, what the fuck? Why am I back on a roller coaster? (laughs) It's terrible. Yeah. It does. It's really seem. It's uh, unending at times. Yeah, and it's 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 the unknown part of it. It's not knowing. Like I don't know. All right, I got retested, and knowing that the more distance you have from your symptoms, the better your 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 potential for testing negative. Finally, right? Mm-hmm. Yes. Um, but I went ahead. We had two. My doctor and I had two timelines because. Like I said, I exhibited cold and sinus symptoms about four days before I lost my sense of taste and smell. So October 22nd, I first got the runny nose and everything. October 26th, that's when I uh, lost taste and smell. So we had two different timelines um, in terms of what we thought first symptoms were. So going off her timeline, which made sense... Um, I went and got tested cause I was past the, I think the 
11 day mark mm-hmm. um, for that. And getting that, getting that positive test um, a second time. I mean, I really had to, to think about how much of the fatigue I'm feeling, how much of it is depression oh, that yeah. this happened again, that, that like, I feel like I'm in a way it felt like I was being told we just reset back to zero. You know how like you go to work sites and they're like, we haven't had an accident in 10 days. And then somebody has an accident and they go back to zero. That's what it felt like. Like yeah. getting that positive result again was like it had all been reset mentally. Um, mm-hmm. And I was starting all over. When are you planning on getting tested again? So the 15th is my 20th day on the second timeline. So 20th day from the 26th when I lost taste and smell. And 20th day, um, looking at research, talking to doctors, talking to, I have a really kind um, rep from LA County Department of Health who's been checking in on me. So I've just kind of been pooling advice because nobody can tell you. The, the, when I got retested and it came back positive, um, I got a phone call from Project Baseline, who's been incredibly helpful and very responsive. And, you know, the best thing that that medical professional could tell me was, you know, you could test positive for up to, I think she said, up to three months after you get this. And so, of course, then I started asking questions. Well, like, what does this mean in terms of knowing when I can be safe to be around? And, you know, like, like all of medical science, she could just give me their best guess, you know? And I think that's, man, I totally get why people are frustrated with that. But it is no, it is no different from every other medical thing we encounter. It is best guess. We're learning as we go. We're learning how everybody who has anything might deal with it slightly differently. You know, Um, so Fingers crossed for your next test. Like, I'm really hoping that you get a negative one. Yeah, I am too. I mean, 20 days matters to people like myself. You know, as a, as a diabetic, I'm in the immunocompromised category. And so that could potentially mean that I could be contagious up to 20 days, they think. Uh, otherwise, for the average non-immunocompromised person, the, the rule of thumb is 10 days. The positive negative test result thing, because it doesn't really tell you whether or not you're contagious, that's one of the reasons I've been told that they don't a lot, you know, a lot of protocols don't require you to get retested after day 10. It's all based on symptoms. Yeah. The problem is if you're in my situation, I never, there's, they, they if you look up CDC guidelines, it says um, 10 days after uh, your last fever or your last known symptoms. Well, I never had a fever. Wait, they said 10 days? Yeah. Oh, I was cleared to go home after three days symptom-free without Tylenol. I actually think, and this is truly just me, not medical professional, just somebody who has been interested in this and researching it on his own. So take this for what you will. I feel like, much like the example of the the please don't wear you know, please don't go out and buy a bunch of masks at the start of this was so that the masks would be available for healthcare professionals. That was stated. They Multiple people stated that on the news and, and medical professionals stated it. I think all the protocols in some ways are that way 
too. We're seeing this these these varying degrees of protocol protocols and timelines because everybody really is just kind of taking their best guess at it. Testing is limited, limited access to it, limited um, health. I mean, one of the things we've been lucky with is that Whitney just happened to be working for a company that was making sure they were tested regularly. And there was a whole separate testing entity that was in charge of that and kind of concierge taking care of that side of things. Meanwhile, I'm the one who actually has COVID and I've got to somehow get myself to Rite Aid to pull up to the pharmacy window and get a test through a window. And and I have to schedule all that myself. I have to follow through. I have to care enough to to quarantine. I mean, there's a lot of like self-responsibility and personal ownership. Yeah, no one's holding anyone accountable. It's your choices, your decisions. I wish I could say I had confidence that the majority of people would take it seriously. Yeah. I think that to me that's that's one of the things that really gets to me when I read people's comments and responses. There was a a GOP candidate, I guess newly elected, uh who was talking about her freshman like basically their freshman first day um getting acquainted with DC and the Senate or or whatever she was elected to. And she made a comment. This came out this morning, uh Friday, November 13th. She made a comment about they set in on a COVID protocol course, kind of like you would if you were starting any job right now, I'm sure. Yeah. And her take was um, that was taking away her freedom. And all she heard about for hours was mask, 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 mask. And like, okay, I, I can get that. Yeah, you know, I can even, I can even find some empathy for that. But then when do you turn around and realize that, this isn't a personal choice in that it would only affect you. Like I, I was in the outdoors, one of the safest places you're supposedly able to be right now. Um, wind was blowing barely around any people. And I most likely got it from somebody who didn't even know they were infected, right? They were probably asymptomatic themselves, wearing a mask, doing all the things, supposedly in one of the safest place, safest situations you could be in. Yeah. And I still got it. And I have since not wanted to be a part of that chain and pass it on to anybody else. I want I want that to stop with me. So, you know, done everything I can to hopefully ensure that. And so I just I just don't understand as a person i don't understand the reaction i don't understand not admitting that this affects more people than just you if you get it you know yeah Does that makes sense it makes a lot of sense i do think that it's uh, an indication of perhaps a larger problem in the united states as a whole now is the time where we're not only learning about like the selfishness of other people but we're learning about what really doesn't work in our in our world in our society and that goes on the small scale of, you know, understanding your own habits that are not sustainable and then looking at a global scale where there is a pandemic and we keep losing people and it really boils down to selfishness. It's a hard, it's a really hard truth to face, mm-hmm. but, and we are all collectively going through it together. I just wish that more people understood that we're going through it together. Yeah. And then like the n- not acknowledging that we are all selfish at, yeah. at times. Like, is it a good thing to be selfish? No. Is it a human thing to be selfish? Yes. 
but what cracks me up is when the, the side that's being accused of being selfish, i.e. not wearing masks or whatever, says, well, look at the people dancing in the street because Joe Biden won. Look at the the protests. Look at, you know, these large gatherings. You say you're not supposed to gather in large ways. Um, here's examples. So, therefore, everything you say about this is completely blown out of the water. You're not right because you exhibited selfishness yourself or you exhibited your own frustration with abiding by the rules. Like that doesn't negate the rule. It doesn't negate the rule. And also you guys are gathering in crowds because you're negating the rules and we're gathering in crowds for completely different reasons and we wear our masks. <laughs> well, but even if you didn't, it, it's still it's still ignoring the smart move, right? It's, yeah. it, for even if it is for on both sides felt like justifiable reasons. It's still in some way, shape or form, the same boils down to the same human fallibilities, right? Yeah. I got COVID. I abided by all the rules and still got it. That does not mean that everything I did up until that point to stay well, to not get it was completely worthless. I could have gotten it earlier. I could have gotten it worse you know, all there's there's a rabbit hole. You know, it reminds me of the argument. You're probably too young um, for this, and and maybe I'm too young to remember the first time this ever came around. But I remember in the early '90s, people were up in arms, at least in my community, in my area in Tennessee, that there was now um, both a seatbelt mandate and a car insurance mandate. Wait, that was the early 90s. That's the way I remember. I could be completely wrong. Oh but my I god! Remember being a kid. We're going to fact check that one. Yeah, yeah, please do. I'll, I'll apologize for my misinformation. <laughs> and um, But I just remember being a kid and listening to people get mad that somebody was telling them to, to wear a seatbelt. And the argument was, surprise, surprise, well, people wearing seatbelts still die in car crashes. And it's like, mm. yes, have you ever heard of the word mitigation? That <laughs> yeah, more people would die. Yeah, if if they weren't wearing seatbelts. I mean, it's pretty provable. I'm not a statistician, but it it seems mathematically to make some sense. It's mm -hmm. a deterrent. It's a mitigation. Whatever. Same thing with like people using the death rate for COVID against people who say we need better, more scientific protocols. To say that there's a 99% survival rate or whatever folks are, are saying right now with whatever new statistic they've, they've come up with to back their claim, it kind of gets blown out of the water because we have been at least, I think a little haphazardly, we've at least been trying to mitigate this to stop the spread of the virus through different measures. And they've been effective. Yeah. So the death rate would be so much higher if we weren't doing any of that. Yeah. And you got to acknowledge that at some point that like there is a success rate. Nothing. I can think of no health protocol that is 100% effective. There isn't any. I, I can't imagine. We'll know no. when we when we interview some medical professionals, but yeah. I can't imagine that there is. Definitely. to ask you about some like anecdotal things um yeah. and uh just what made you feel better what lifts your spirits these days this is not I, this is nothing new specific to covid but at the same time that i posted that i had this and started being kind of open um about it i wanted to to share what i was going through as a cautionary tale 
I wasn't exhibiting symptoms or would have thought that I had this and, and needed to protect others from me. So I, I put the information out there in hopes that some people would see it and maybe they've had that scratchy throat for four days and we'll go and get a test and hopefully not spread this any further. That was an interesting, the response from that got shared a ton. And that also led to just a lot of friends and family reaching out to me, um, which was really sweet and wonderful. And I'm not unaccustomed to that even, but I guess all that interaction like made my wheels spin. And I started writing some some creative stuff again and jotting down ideas that had nothing to do with COVID, nothing to do with COVID. But something about that added, you know, I got to talk to you for two hours and we hadn't talked, kept up with each other on social media, but like, yeah, we haven't talked in quite a while. Yeah. It was nice Um, to catch up. Yeah. And so just that reconnecting with people. Well, you're a super loved dude. You know, so like it's I think whether or not you ever need needed the reminder, it's a really reassuring thing to uh, to hear all of that love and support, especially in a time that is so precarious and dangerous. Yeah. And I try to remember, I think everybody needs that reminder. One of the things living in New York taught me is you can be surrounded by people and feel very much alone. Yeah, for sure. So like, in fact, weirdly enough, I find a lot of my actor friends It's one of the reasons why we love it when we're in a cast is like we we have a community again. It can be so isolating just being an actor running around the city in isolation, working on an audition, yeah. going and doing the audition, going to the next thing and the next thing. And that, I mean, that's probably true of every profession. Yeah. Um, we kind of tend to live a little bit isolated in normal times. So it's really, really important. I would say it has been for me to connect with people right now. Because because even in my home, I'm isolated yeah. an extra step. Yeah. And, you know, luckily I'm in a, a marriage where we are both incredibly dedicated, whether we're good at it or not, we're dedicated to communicating. And we're both big on that. So like I've been very open when I've been having a bad moment where I feel like this is never gonna end and I'm gonna be isolated like this forever. And those moments do happen. It doesn't matter how rational and logical you are. Those thoughts will cross your mind. Yeah. Have you, so it's really important to pick up the phone and talk to somebody. Yeah. Has it, Have you learned anything about yourself? You sort of are touching on it, but has this like made it, has it illuminated anything about yourself? Is, what are you taking on to the next part of your life? Like, what is this going to teach you? You know, I was just thinking about this this morning, and I think one of my, at least right now, one of my big takeaways is that I didn't realize how much I had bought into this self-imposed perception that I was unhealthy. An example of that is my my type 2 diagnosis is only three years old. Mm -hmm. Um. So I got diagnosed in 2017 and immediately started working to correct it. And like I said, I'm healthier now than I have been in my entire adult life. Congrats, by the way. That's awesome. Thanks. So happy for you. And it feels really good. But like you get that diagnosis or or anything that's medical related. And I don't think I realized how much that plus like turning 40 and hair starting to go gray and all this stuff that, and and not doing, I used to do a whole lot of physical comedy 
um, uh, stage wise. Oh, I know. That's how I met you. Right. <laughs> so like Ed, when you met me, I was 35 and putting on the equivalent of football pads to go out and do a two hour show where I'm like rolling across the stage and hitting myself with trash cans and doing all this crazy stuff. Yeah. So I've always been very physical and I am more sedentary now. I have to seek out my workouts more than I ever have before. Yeah. And all that, I guess, combined in this like little thing in the back of my head that was like, you're not the big, strong Raymond Hardy guy that you, you always have been before you're compromised now. And so probably one of the reasons why I took COVID so seriously is like all that young, I'm invincible stuff had been waning. Mm. And then I get it. And while there's tons of reasons why I could have just been lucky and had a mild case of it. It also has showed me that I am healthier than I was assuming I was. And then my body still is very resilient. Cause what's funny to have the reason that perception has blown me away is because I've been through a lot of medical, mostly back stuff. My back, um, I had two discs rupture when I was 20 and it was almost paralyzed. Oh my God. What? Yeah. So I grew up with a lot of pain and I just, it was so chronic that I didn't talk about it. I just assumed it was somewhat normal. And so it was always, for me, it was always a big deal to prove to myself that I could get past the pain. Mm. And then my back blows out at 20 years old and it all starts to make sense. On my social media, I posted a photo of me holding the titanium brace that held my spine together. Oh, I saw that. Yeah. Yeah. How interesting to go from like, I mean, all that experience made me feel like I really can take on anything. Yeah, dude. Um, To 20 years later being like, I'm broken, unfixable, can't, I'm too weak. You know, it's just so interesting what, because in some ways I would tell you that, no, I'm not the normal 40-year-old. I don't feel 40. I don't, you know. But in other ways, I totally bought into, well, you're 40 now. Oh, and, my God. And it's all down here Phil, from here. Well, if it makes you feel any better, your spirit is entirely youthful. So congratulations. <laughs> I would say one of your biggest strengths is uh, at least watching you be such a, uh, a jubilant and happy person with such like a gregarious, wonderful outward energy. That's the stuff you can carry that until you are 105 years old. And you're never going to be 105 years old. It's it's your spirit is what's so special. Yeah, if my dad was any example, that will definitely uh, ring true. He was a giant kid his entire life. So. Oh, so that's where you get it from. Yeah. Nice. In large part. In large part. I wanted to ask, did you get any weird symptoms? Not yet. Oh man. And I don't I I mean I say that kind of facetiously, but I I fully would not be surprised if all of a sudden something did happen really strange. Because I've heard people talk about was it you who was telling me like somebody who had tooth problems because of this? I was t- yeah, I read something on Twitter. Um Disclaimer, we are not doctors. This is not anything that I can speak about medically, but I'm just going to say something I saw on Twitter once. But it was that a woman's um, kid sounded like his um, the roots of his teeth had like evaporated or rotted or something. And they think that disintegration was directly linked to COVID. What? I mean, come on. Yeah. 
I, I would be curious. I'd be curious to find out if if we're going to either talk to anybody or find out about cases where somebody was kind of more like me, more asymptomatic or or low to mild symptoms, mm-hmm. and then something really weird. Yeah. Well, stay tuned for our next episode where you interview me because I yeah. have a bunch of weird symptoms that I'm dying to share. I'm actually in a in a really weird, twisted way looking forward to hearing more details because you've you told me about a little bit of them. And folks, it is incredibly interesting. And I'm so sorry, Caroline's our guinea pig. Oh. Um, but we're going to be doing a lot of that with these interviews. I mean, yeah, the one of the reasons to do this is because as as survivors of it, like or people who've had it. It's weird to say survivor survivor for me because I, I don't feel like I've earned that badge. I haven't really had to survive anything super complicated. I hear it's you. Just been, yeah. But there are definitely some stories out there and people we're going to talk to who I would absolutely designate as survivors. I had a friend, I posted that thing about how beneficial my oximeter, my oximeter had been. Yeah. And a buddy wrote me, a buddy from college wrote me and said that his oximeter also made it possible for him to know that his oxygen levels had gotten dangerously low. And he was actually on the way to the to the ER. Oh, my God. Is he um, okay? At the time he was there, I think, 24 hours or so. Hopefully we'll get to interview him um, yeah. and then got out. But it was really, luckily, his wife knew to use that thing, knew, knew what it meant because it's that is something we should probably do a whole episode on that device in and of itself. Um, I've heard from lots of people um, from medical professionals to people who've had it, that that device in and of itself is, is gold in this situation. Yeah. I know it helped me a ton. Yeah. Our intention behind this, um, I think I can speak for both of us, or at least start with my my intention, um, is is to hopefully these anecdotal stories can help better the the understanding of why information is rolling out the way it is about this thing, uh, how important it is to understand that mild symptoms to asymptomatic uh, carriers they exist. We, we all should do our part to stop the spread of this thing. And so we want this to be cautionary tales and ways to give you another perspective. There's a lot of podcasts out there by medical professionals who are covering that side of it. We are not qualified no. to cover that side of it. No way. But we are storytellers and hopefully we're good interviewers and we can come up with uh, another version of content that also paints a picture Um, And that's really all we're trying to do here. Yeah, no one's alone in this. So uh, buckle up. We're going to have a lot of stories to tell, and they might actually sound a little bit similar to what you might be going through. Hey, this is Caroline. And Raymond. We wanted to say thank you for listening to this episode and let you know that there will be more every week from now until we get fatigued by it. We're building out this podcast as we go. So stay tuned for improvements on our website, our graphics and video clips and just everything else. The time was now to tell our stories. So we're learning as we go. 
we really do appreciate your interest and support. We truly hope that the personal stories that come out in each episode can help build a better understanding of COVID-19, how it spreads, and how it affects us. If you have a story or a question that you'd like us to address in an episode, please email us at fatiguedpodcast at gmail.com. That's F-A-T-I-G-U-E-D podcast at gmail.com. Thanks for listening. Bye.